0: Well, this morning, we will end our message series about the spiritual life with one more message. Last week, uh, Pastor Emily, our district superintendent, asked the question, do we enjoy our prayer lives? And she talked a little bit about the instructions Jesus gave us about how we should pray and what we should pray. We were hoping that this series would help you and help me as a, a preacher of this series to be more intentional about our spiritual lives, to pay attention to our thoughts, our words, and our deeds, to see if, in fact, they were in keeping with what Jesus said when he said, follow me. Are we really following his example? We have looked at the subjects of sin and the things that distract us from God. We've looked at generosity and our attitudes toward people to whom we minister. We've looked at prayer. We've looked at whether or not we are shining a light in the world for Jesus. And today we will take a look at one last question, phrased two different ways. The first question is, is it all about me? John Wesley didn't ask the question that way. What he said was, am I self-conscious, self-pitying, or self-justifying? Which, in the final analysis, means, is it all about me? So, today we are going to um, turn to a scripture that reminds us that we're not supposed to be self centered. We're not supposed to think of ourselves first. This text was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi, and this is what he wrote Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. In this passage, we're reminded that though Jesus, in heaven with God, divine, didn't have to, he chose to come and live among us, to take on human frailty, to have a a body that could have pains, and to suffer a death for us. Just, just as we suffer death at the end of our lives. In contrast, in our lives, we're taught to say, we're number one. Just ignore the team. I just, this was the only one I could find. If you're a Buckeye, I don't want to hear about it. If you're a Seminole, I don't want to hear about it. But, you know, it's okay when we're rooting for our favorite team to say, we're number one. We're number one. But when it comes to our faith life, it's not so okay to say, I'm number one. I'm going to take care of what I need. If Jesus, as great and divine as he was, as perfect as he was, could humble himself for us, then surely we can humble ourselves for others. If you study Paul's entire letter to the church at Philippi, you'll see he had one primary concern. And that was that the church was becoming divided, and it was being caused by conceit and self-interest demonstrated among some of the church members. It was a church threatened by disunity. In calling out conceit and self-centeredness, Paul was reminding the faith community that we're supposed to put our brothers and sisters and our neighbors first. Timothy Keller, a wonderful Christian author, wrote a book called The Prodigal God. Some of you may have read it. And in it, he looks at this subject uh, from a a number of perspectives. But the one I want to talk about this morning is the perspective um, of the older brother. Now, let me recap the story for you if you're not familiar with it. There was a man who had two sons. He was well-to-do. And his youngest son demanded that his father give him his inheritance, because he wanted to go off and party and live the good life. So the father gave the son the inheritance, and this was a grievous sin by the youngest son. And the boy went off, and he wasted all the money. He found himself slopping pigs, and he crawled back home to his father to beg that his father allow him to work as a slave, confessing that he had made a terrible mistake, that he had sinned against his father. But instead of being reprimanded, his father welcomed him with open arms, gave him a robe and a ring, and had a big celebration. While the older brother, who had stayed home the whole time and dutifully served his father, didn't like that a bit. And he became angry and jealous. He was filled with resentment. And his father said to him, but my son, you... You have everything that is mine. It's yours. And he still wouldn't join the party. And he still passed judgment on his younger brother, talking about he had gone off and run around with prostitutes. So the question Timothy Keller poses, and I have to ask today, is, why was the older son serving his father? Was it for his own benefit? Or was it because he wanted to actually honor his father by his dutiful service. He wanted a party too. He wanted a robe and a ring as well. He wanted to show the world that he was better than that younger brother. Too often the church is filled with elder brothers. We think that because we're not the one running off, squandering resources and living the good life, that we're being good and faithful people when really we want others to see our righteousness. We want others to approve of us. We want to show that we're better than those people who don't come to church. And sometimes when we behave like that, we help keep those people from coming to church. We need to be careful as Christians not to look at the church with an eye toward our own personal preferences or how it benefits us or with an eye toward who we should exclude. You know, while I was preparing for this message, I found another story. It's called The Legend of the Stones. It's not in the Bible, but it's in holy literature of some traditions. And I saw this story related uh, by a woman named Elizabeth Elliot. And I'm not gonna read this story for you. I'm gonna paraphrase it a little bit and read a little bit of, of it. One day Jesus says to his disciples, I'd like you to carry a stone for me. So Peter, being a resourceful guy, the smartest or so he thought, picked up a little stone like this that he could just hide in his pocket. It was no chore to carry that stone. Don't want to drop it on the floor. And Jesus said, now follow me. So they marched around. They walked and they walked and they walked. And it was easy for Peter because Peter didn't have a big heavy stone to carry. And then lunchtime came. And at lunchtime, Jesus said, okay, take out your stones. And all the stones suddenly became bread. And Peter's lunch was done in two bites. It wasn't even as big as a roll. And he was disappointed. Well, when lunch was over, Jesus said, I want you to carry a stone for me. Well, this time, Jesus, or this time Peter thought, aha. And he picked up a big rock. Now I want you to imagine it was bigger than this, but I'm a weakling. But think about Peter, the big burly fisherman carrying a rock. And so he walked around carrying this rock, anticipating the meal he was going to have. And the rock got heavier, and he got slower, and he could hardly keep up. And then dinner time came, and they were by the side of a river, and Jesus said, now throw your stones in the river. And they all threw their stones in the river. I'm not gonna throw this, because it would make a very big noise. Jesus said, now follow me. And all of the disciples looked at each other, but especially Peter, thinking, well, what gives? And then Jesus said, don't you remember what I asked you to do? Carry a stone for me. Who were you carrying your stone for? Friends, i got to tell you, when I read that message, it smacked me right between the eyes, just like Mom used to say, pow, right in the kisser. You know? How often in my life have I done things in ministry to get approval? How often have you done things in ministry for people to notice how good you were? How often? Did I take up my cross and follow my own lead. So the question we have to ask ourselves today is why do we carry our stones and take up our crosses? Are they to get the approval of men and women? Do we do that so others will see how good we are? Or do we do it because the Lord said to us, take up your cross and follow me, and then later said, Make disciples of all the nations. Our motives matter, and they can't be self-centered, or we create divisions in the church. So why am I bringing this up today? Well, because next week, we get a new spiritual leader at St. Paul. Pastor Don is arriving to be our lead pastor, to be our spiritual leader He's an ordained elder called to a ministry of word, meaning he will preach and teach and explain. He's called to a ministry of service, meaning he will serve us and serve our community and lead us by example. He's called to a ministry of sacrament, meaning that he will administer the sacraments of Holy Communion and Baptism which are so important to our Christian practice, and they are, they are outward signs of the grace that God gives us. And he's called to a ministry of order, meaning as the lead pastor, he's called to order the life of the church and ensure we do things the way we ought to do things. He's going to preach next Sunday, and we're going to listen to him preach next Sunday. And we should prepare our hearts to receive him in a way that acknowledges Christ's mission for pastors the Apostle Paul wrote about this in his letter to Ephesians and to the church in Ephesus this is what he said now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church the Apostles the prophets the evangelists and the pastors and teachers their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church the body of Christ Let me say that again Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So the purposes of a pastor are to equip God's people to do God's work, to build up the church, to help us and themselves measure up to Christ's standards and to guide us to such unity that we'll all become mature in the Lord. There it is again, that word unity. Too often we think unity means we have to agree about every single little issue. I'm here to tell you right now, there's a few theological points that we Methodists will not agree with our brothers and sisters across the street about. And it's not going to keep us from loving them, sharing our parking lots, and praying for one another. We need to recognize that we can disagree without being disagreeable. Our pastors are charged with the responsibility of reminding us that we are one in Christ, that one spirit dwells within us, that we share one common baptism, and that's more important than any of the differences that we face. Oneness in Christ, that's what we need to find together here under Pastor Don's leadership. He will guide us to unity, to missional engagement, to growth, to spiritual maturity. But to do that, we must welcome him as our spiritual leader. And I know you're ready for him to arrive. I know I am. I get that. I mean, we we want him to get here. We want cake. We want cake. But we need to honor his role among us. We must trust that God has placed him here at this moment in time for a reason. The process of placing pastors at churches is not just some administrative, bureaucratic knuckle drill. It is done with prayer and discernment, seeing where every church is in its life. And it's important for us to realize that he is assuming a great responsibility by becoming our shepherd. That responsibility is labeled in very stark terms in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 17, where it says, that it tells us that a pastor's work is to watch over our souls and they are accountable to God. That's the stone that Pastor Don is going to be carrying for Jesus when he arrives here. He will be accountable to God for your souls, for my soul, and he will be accountable for equipping all of us to serve better tomorrow than we do today. As a congregation, all we're asked to do is cooperate with him. It's not that hard. Cooperate, accept, love Don and Cindy just because of the call that they've accepted, but we also need to present him with a willingness to yield to his leadership. Now in America today, we're taught day in and day out, don't trust leaders. Believe but verify. Let's give our pastor, let's give our new pastor the benefit of the doubt here because he's a great guy. I've met him and I can't wait for him to arrive. Now, I'd like to suggest a few things that might not be helpful to say to him the first few times you meet him. One is, but Pastor Don, we do it this way. But Pastor Don, Pastor so-and-so didn't do it that way. God bless Pastor so-and-so. But God's put Pastor so-and-so somewhere else now whoever that pastor might be in your heart. Pastor Don, please, please bring back the good old days. Pastor Don, you should start this new ministry. Instead, it would be better to say, Pastor Don, I have some friends here in the church, and we want to start this new ministry, and we'd like your blessing and your guidance. I have a team of eight people, and we're ready to go. That's the way we start new ministries. You think of them, you seek guidance, and you run with it. Pastor Don, I hate drums. (laughs) Pastor Don, I'm not gonna sing those dreary old hymns. Pastor Don, I want this certain piece of furniture moved back to this place, and I don't want it to be moved as long as I'm a member of St. Paul and finally it's not helpful to say Pastor Don I don't like your shoes or in my case Pastor Pam I don't like your sandals and I don't like to see your toenail polish to which I say too bad (laughs) okay all right trying to be a little funny here but I'm also trying to make a point friends okay Instead of those kind of statements, let's share our hopes and our dreams for St. Paul with Pastor Don. Let's be open to new ideas, new ministries, new dreams. We are in this messy ministry business together with our pastors. Too often we say, oh, I'm not being fed. Being fed is only part of it. You're being fed so you can feed others. It's not about only receiving the bread of life. It's about sharing the bread of life. We want the same things. We all want the same things. We want for St. Paul to thrive. We want for St. Paul to make new disciples. We want for St. Paul to live into its mission to glorify God, grow in faith, and give in love. And I hope that this message series has given you some tools to do that. It will help you individually and me individually and our walk with Christ, but also as a church to be focused on being in mission and ministry together to make new disciples of people who don't know the love of Jesus. I realize the last few years have brought us a ton of distractions. Divisive politics. COVID-19. The mask wars, social distancing, to be vaccinated or not vaccinated, waiting for a new pastor to come, selling properties, not one but three, questions about our denomination, our personal preferences for worship, our personal preferences for ministry. All these things can distract us, and if we allow them to distract us, Disunity can creep in. We can lose sight of our mission and our ministry. My hope is that concentrating on our spiritual lives this last seven weeks will help us to refocus and reinforce on our Wesleyan roots, a social gospel that calls us to serve even as we believe. And I hope it will help us welcome Pastor Don with loving hearts and open arms. So let's commit today. Will you commit with me today to be in ministry with Pastor Don? Will you commit with me today to being equipped for ministry by Pastor Don? And will you commit with me today, and this is the easy part, to welcoming Dr. Don and Cindy with open and loving arms, teachable spirits, hope for the future, joy for this moment in time, and an absolute, undeniable, unquenchable belief that St. Paul's best days are yet to come. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen.